Welcome to the weekly sermon by Generations Church. We hope you enjoy this message from our special speaker. I'm going to share something with you that is quite a break away from anything you've ever heard me do. It won't contradict anything that you've heard me do. But some of the things I'll share with you this morning, I think you probably never heard before. And I'm dealing with this subject for a reason. There are, there are a lot of people today, pastors and ministers, that no longer hold firm to the scriptures and claim and believe that the Bible is infallible. I got this text a short time ago that I'm going to pass on to you. It was a George Barna poll. And they said 23% of pastors today do not believe the Bible is the infallible word of God. I sat face to face with a preacher who was raised and all the things that we are as spirit-filled believers. And he said to me, I don't think there really is a hell, a literal hell. I, you know, I didn't know what to say. I was absolutely thrown into shock. Spirit, My spirit man was. I didn't know what to say. I just looked at him. And I thought about it for a while. Meditated on it. It wouldn't go away. And a scripture came to me out of the book of Jude that I never had really concentrated on. But that verse in Jude, chapter 1, verse 22, says, talks about saving some with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Fear of what? What are you saving with? Fear of what? What fire? What fire? Where's the fire? In 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, the scripture talks about a falling away first. If you're a person who watches the news very much, you have noticed how much of America is now in the no-God zone. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Our nation is almost 50-50 now, according to the voting that we've watched on who believes the Bible as it's written, and who doesn't? What it boils down to? I watched one of the parties in 2012 at their national convention declare and vote. Two times they did it, voted twice. Not to include God in their platform. They did it twice. I watched uh, as it happened. And that party now 
is proving more and more that that's the way they think. They don't want God. They don't want His rules. They don't want His laws. America was founded on the Judeo-Christian values and we were established as a Christian nation. But I'm watching it as it appears, now I'm saying appears, to be slipping away. So I'm going to talk to you on the subject. Did they post it already? Go ahead and put it up there. Hell, no. That's the title of my message. Now, lest you think I'm swearing, let me extrapolate on that title. If there is a literal hell, no, I don't want to go. If we abandon the scriptures, any part of the scriptures, and set it aside, it's it's like removing one of the one of the bulwarks or or or, or powers or forceful powers that God has established to protect His children from the enemy. It's removed. You remove something you the Bible said from what you believe. It's like removing part of your protection. Now I don't understand everything in the Bible, and. Uh, I'm sure you would probably sit there and agree that you don't either. But I, but I believe it all. I openly declare, positively, forcefully, I believe it all. We're at a point where we either live our life by faith or we reason things out to what we can understand. What we can't understand, we set aside as though it's wrong or not applicable. Does anybody understand what I'm saying? I hope you do. <clears throat> so if we abandon that position that the Bible is the infallible word of God, we, we, we no longer have an anchor. That is our anchor. Amen. Anything else? It is sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. Other people's opinions cannot govern what I believe. It's what the scripture says. That's what I believe. I believe it until I understand it. But I believe it. So, I've listed quite a few verses of scripture where Jesus talked about hell. And I'm not going to take time to read all of those because I I don't think it's necessary. If you have a, 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 a camera in your phone, you might take a snapshot of these pictures on the screen and you can read them later to support the things that I'm sharing with you. There are 18 mentions of hell by Jesus, our Lord and Redeemer, in the four Gospels and also in Revelation 18. Uh, There's one verse of Scripture I'm going to read from the Old Testament concerning hell, but I'll come to it here in a minute. So is there a literal hell? And if so, where is it? I understand uh, that that words can mean different things depending on the subject matter and how you use them. 
It was the same from Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. The word hell is used in many ways. It's used in swearing. It's used in, as a byword. It's, it's, it's used in uh, uh, descriptive terms such as the grave. It's called, in one place it's called the grave. In the, in the, in the, in the human waste zone where they went to relieve themselves, it was called Gehenna, uh, which is interpreted as hell. Uh, so there are several different applications used. But to set aside the one that I'm dealing with now would be folly. If one believes in God, we must believe in the Word of God. Every time the scriptures talk about hell, well, well, not every time, but most every time it talks about hell, it always speaks of it being down or beneath or in the nether parts or the lower parts of the earth. Are there people there already? We don't like to think about it, but if, since it's a fact, let's talk about it. Jesus told a story about two men who died. And they both went into the nether parts of the earth. One went into what is called Abraham's bosom. And one went into the burning parts of hell. Jesus named the one that went into Abraham's bosom. His name was Lazarus. And he called the other one a certain rich man. So he had in mind who he was talking about, just didn't name him. So in Jesus' story about the rich man and Lazarus, you see some things that help define and separate and understand some of the things that you may be in question about. Now, a lot of you folks have already got enough Bible knowledge to know some of these things, but paradise at the time Jesus died was in the nether parts of the earth because he told the man beside him, this day you'll be with me in paradise. <clears throat> it is not there anymore. It is now in the third heavens. It's now in the place with the heavenly father. How did you get there? Well, let's just take a moment and consider it. When Jesus died on the cross, <clears throat> Paul by revelation said he went into the nether parts of the earth and there he led captivity captive. Who were they in captivity to? They were in captivity to Satan. Why weren't they in hell? Because they died in faith, looking for him who was to come, the promised Messiah. So they were put in a holding place. They couldn't go to be with the Father because the Father could not have heaven contaminated with sin. And their sins had not yet been forgiven because the sacrifice had not yet been made. Oh, they had made sacrifices, but they were, that was not the sacrifice. There was a sacrifice called the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. It was God's plan in the beginning. He knew what he was doing. He knew what he was going to do. And now he is doing it, thank God. 
And Jesus went into the nether parts of the earth. He preached deliverance to those captives. And the Bible said he led captivity captive to himself. He took them away from the devil's control and transported them into heaven. Gave the Father the blood that he had shed. And that settled the future for them and it settled the future for us who believe now, today, in this time. Thank God it's retroactive and it's active for all the future as long as we teach and think and believe the word of God and the person that he sent. Now, I know that I know that paradise is in heaven now because of something Paul the Apostle said. He said, I know a man who died. Uh, well, he said, I don't know whether he's in the body or out of the body, but went to heaven about 14 years ago. And he said, in paradise. He went to paradise. He called it that word. So Jesus called it paradise and went to the heart of the earth. Paul called it paradise when he went up to heaven. So now, we know where paradise is. It's been in hell or apartment of hell, if you can call it that. Now it's, now, now it's in heaven. Now we're going to go to paradise when we die. And the Bible said we're going to do it instantly. As soon as we die, we're going to be present with the Lord. Amen. But I want to talk to you a minute about, well, let me say something about the blood of Jesus. Do you, do you, everybody knows why Jesus had to be born of a virgin, don't you? He could not be born of human seed because it was contaminated with sin from Adam all the way down to that hour. So God had to create special blood. He created special blood when he put it in that seed and planted it in that woman and that blood was pure. Hallelujah. And Jesus lived 33 years on this earth and never contaminated that blood with any wrong thinking, wrongdoing. He did the will of the Father. Thank God, God could accept that blood. It was holy, purified, which brings me to the next point. When we die, let's talk about our, talk about our, our, our physical bodies. When we die, we're going to have a new body at some point in time. I can't answer all of your questions. I know that. But we're going to have a new body. Uh, Paul described at the time of the rapture that we'll be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be changed. Changed from what to what? What would be changed? He said, will be changed from the mortal to the immortal. What is the immortal body like? Now that I have you nodding, let's talk about it. I, I, don't, I can't give you chapter and verse what I'm going to say. But it's satisfied in my mind that once this body, which has life in it through the blood, our life, our blood is in, our life is in the blood. Take the blood out, the body's dead. 
The life is in the blood. That's the body we have now. When we die and get a new body, do you think it's going to be flesh, bone, and blood or flesh, bone, and spirit? What will be the life in the immortal body? It is appointed under this time, the man living in this earth wants to die. We're going to be changed. We're going to have a different body. Hey, you're going to be good looking, you know, I believe that. I mean, my God, God, took, God took me to heaven to see my daddy back in 1972. And he had been dead five months. And I couldn't get over it. I was grieving so bad. And the Lord came and got me and took me. He took me. Caught me by my left elbow, standing to my left, and he took me. From where I was, across the ocean, I watched it as we went above it. We went into nothingness. Took me, settled down on a glass, grassy, glassy slope, grassy slope, get my straight. Got my tang tangled up around my eye tooth. Couldn't see what I was trying to say. <clears throat> and I stood in front of a, a, a fence that I couldn't see the end of it. I couldn't see the, uh, the, the, the top of it. And I saw some men coming toward me in the distance. I, know, I recognized the one in my father. In the front was my father. He threw up his hands and hollered at me, Gerald! And he came running toward me. And he reached through the bars and we caught each other's elbows. And I started trying to ask him some questions. I said, Dad, why did you go like you did, etc." Anyway, after that visit, he turned around because one of the men with him laid his hand on my dad's shoulder and said, Oriel, we need to go back now. And my dad caught me by the arms again. He said, son, just keep doing what you're doing. Won't be long, we'll all be together again. And he turned around, shot his hands up in the air, and took off jogging back toward that beautiful great light in the distance. And I felt something come out of me. I, I, I remember I fell on the ground. I started, I grabbed the, the bars that were set about so far apart, and I started trying to pull them away through while screaming, wait, Dad, I want to go, well, I want to go. And the Lord reached down. He was standing right here to my right. He reached down, laid his hand on my, on my back. Instantly, I, I was on my feet. And he said, and Gerald, you know that's not how you get in here. <laughs> he said, your time is not yet. So at least I know I'm going to go, thank God. <laughs> but I said that to say, when I saw my father, he died at 60, and he died with heart problems, and his color was really bad, and he was so weak, he didn't have much strength uh, last time I saw him. And when I saw him now, he was jogging. He was, had, a, had a radiance about him, and he looked to be about 30 years old, right in the prime of life. So you're going to be as good looking as you've ever been, amen, in your new body, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> when we get that new body, I'm convinced we're going to be flesh and bone and spirit, and the spirit will control the appearance of the flesh and bone. Best example I have is Jesus. When he rose from the dead, I, don't, I do not believe God created new blood and put new blood in him. We know the blood he had had already been spilled down that cross and all gone down that cross and a rain come and washed it away. 
That blood was gone. That was holy, pure, special, created blood, gone for the price. That was the price of the souls of men. When he got his new body, was he visible? When he walked right in the room where his disciples were hiding, had all the doors closed, and scared of the scared of the you know the the, the Roman soldiers. Jesus said he just appeared right in front of them, and they thought they hollered, "It's a ghost." Well, they had to see him, or they wouldn't have been afraid it was a ghost. Suddenly, they saw him, and he said, "No, no, here, touch me." He said, "A, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bone like like I have." He didn't say flesh and blood. He said, "Doesn't have flesh and bone like I have." So the flesh and bone and the spirit arrive and, 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 and wherever the, the body goes, wherever the spirit goes, and appears and disappears. As you, he ate. You remember that? You Bible readers know Jesus ate fish. He knew how to cook it and did it. Hey, we're going to have a new body. And we're going to have control over it by the Spirit. And that's where our life is going to be. Well, it's what we are now. With Christ in our heart, we have a new life. Amen. He's made us a new creature. So when we die, we're going to have a body that can go straight up and be with the Lord. I don't know all the answers, but that'll settle me for now. Because I I have to stop at what I don't know. Oh, everybody that dies will go one direction or the other. When? When they die. According to the scriptures. There's been a lot of, you know, stuff passed around about ghosts and haunting houses and whatever. But I believe the Bible. According to the Bible, we're going to go to heaven or, if we're not ready, we'll go the other place. That's where Lazarus went. Jesus, I mean, not uh, Lazarus, but the rich man. That's where he went. And he was thirsty. Why was he thirsty? A spirit doesn't need water. Why was he thirsty? He had to have some kind of body. There couldn't be any suffering if there hadn't been some kind of body. Oh, not shouting too loud. Well, anyway, we're thinking about it. So if there is a literal hell, is it on this planet or where? How many of you remember watching those that volcano in, hurricane, in uh, Hawaii here, what, six, eight weeks ago? Something like that. You might remember watching that on TV? That thing pouring out that lava and that fire and that brimstone coming down went into some of the residential places, kept opening up new fissures as it went, you know, and just, oh, call it hell. Where was it coming from? It was coming from somewhere in the earth. Had to be. There are quite a number of those volcanoes, in fact, around this, this globe we live on. I read a scripture in Isaiah 
chapter 5, verse 14, that fascinated me. <clears throat> Therefore, hell has enlarged herself and opened up her mouth without measure, and their multitude shall descend into it. Talking about the wicked, those that rejected the Lord, they'll descend into it. I often wondered about these volcanoes. Could they be spigots on the surface of the earth that opens up lava, brimstone, etc., making more room in hell for the souls that are going to it? Well, just something to think about. Let's talk for a minute about some of the things that, have, that are kind of puzzling to us. Hell is referred to as a bottomless pit, a lake of fire. Use your imagination with me for a minute. We all know now that the earth is round. We know enough about science that the earth is round. We're on one side, when I say we, here in America, China, on the other side. Let's say we could take a huge drill and drill right down through the center, the core of the earth, all the way, all the way to China. And now that the hole is dug, let's take a 10,000-pound lead ball and let's roll it over in that hole. It's going to fall until it reaches the core of the earth. Then it's going to begin to do what? It won't keep going down, will it? The velocity will cause it to continue on the same trajectory until it reaches the peak. And then it will begin to fall back toward the center of the earth. Why? Because every direction from the center of the earth is up. That's why there is no bottom to hell. Hell is in the core of the earth where the center of gravity is. In every direction on earth, from the surface of the earth, you drill a hole, it's going to fall until it settles there in the core. Now let's take and pour a million tons of water over into that hole. It falls. Until it reaches the core. Or the center of the earth. Then it continues to do. Exactly what the lead ball did. It will continue. But it will be climbing. From, from, from the core of the earth. It will be climbing toward China. Going up. Because of that. It will settle back to the center of the earth. And it will settle there. By gravity, because in that bottomless pit, it's the center of gravity, is the lake of fire. That's where the water would be if we could pour it in there. To me, that explains simply the bottomless pit and the lake which burns with fire forever.
I hope I'm not boring you. Uh, I want to I want to say something about about Joshua. You know, we didn't learn that the earth was round until the fifteen in the fifteen hundreds, where when Cornucopus Cornucopus that his name Copernicus Copernicus discovered that the earth was round and it moves. The earth moves around the sun. And when it makes a complete cycle around the sun, that's what determines a year. So that's what we set our calendars by. Now, in this age. Now, when... When the, when, the, when the pioneers got on those ships to come in search of another continent, the fear by many was that they were going to fall off the edge of the earth. How many remember that? Well, they didn't. And uh, so it settled completely in everybody's mind that the earth is round. Did Joshua know that? When Joshua needed more daylight, did he call for the earth to stop and quit spinning on its axis? Or did he call for the sun to stand still? He operated according, to me this is good. He operated according to the level of knowledge they had. And God gave him what he needed by the way God chose to do it, which Joshua was not aware of. Because they didn't know the earth was round. That's why he told the sun to stand still. They thought the sun moved around the earth, or however they had it figured. I'm doing good whether you agree with me or not. I know I'm telling the truth. So Joshua cried out, God, I need more daylight. I've I got to get this enemy whipped if he, if he has more time to get together and, and, uh, and, and reconnoiter. He'll, he'll be a lot more problem to me tomorrow. So I've got I to gotta, I gotta have daylight. So God did what we now know instead of what Joshua thought he did. God just stopped the earth from, you know, the earth spins on its axis and that's what gives us daylight and dark. We all know that. Everybody with me? So God just simply stopped the earth from spinning for a long enough time to give Joshua what he needed. So next time you go to God and tell him how to do what it is you need him to do, just don't worry about it. He knows how to do it. He knows how to fix it. Amen. And he'll help you when you cry out in faith. Thank God for faith preachers like your pastors here that stay with the word and teach the word and preach in faith. Thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph. Amen. <laughs> now, who goes to hell? Well, bad people. Well, who 
goes to heaven. Well, good people. And that's the way it's pretty well presented, you know, by the thoughts of most around the world. Well, that guy, he deserves a, he deserves a crown, man. He deserves to go. We don't know. And then that guy, he'll bust hell wide open. Well, we don't know. I, I know that there are some bad people in heaven. I know there are. Because Paul the Apostle's there. And before he became Paul, his name was Saul. You all know the story. And his total concentration was to kill Christians. He went about it. That's, that's, that was his mission. To go about killing Christians. He's a bad boy. I believe he's in heaven. Well, what about, uh, what about, uh, what about, uh, what about uh, the, the good people? How many ever posed the question or thought about the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, according to the scriptures, they don't. I say that and support it by the fact that the Bible says there is none good. No, not one. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. No, not one. Got to hear a better amen. So, there are good people that are classified that way by human minds that don't go to heaven. And there are bad people that we would judge ought to go to hell that may go to heaven. Uh, you know the whole reason Jesus suffered like he suffered and died the death he died was because good people can't go to heaven on their own and bad people need to be saved. So however you've lived, however you've lived, whether you would call it, judge it, good or bad, however you've lived, you don't have to go to hell. I say it again, you don't have to go to hell. Simply follow the plan that God gave to man whereby we may be saved. Now, naturally, when I teach and say that Jesus Christ is the door, the only door, the way, the truth, the life, without him, no man see the Father. Now, that's, that's what our Bible teaches so the question has been posed by many over the years. Well, what about the people that have never heard the gospel? That have lived and died and never heard the name of Jesus? I don't know. I know that the judge of all the earth will do right. I know that. I don't know how to judge you I don't know how to judge those who have never heard the message. I don't know how. I don't have that authority, Brother Scott. 
That, that, let me say a word here about judging. All of us know that we can't get through life without judging. We're warned about Jesus. Judge not lest you be judged. But I make judgments all the time about people. I like that person. Or I'm glad I don't have to deal with them. <laughs> what he did was not right. It was not right. It was not right. It was not right. Not right. Not right. What he did was not right. I like that guy. I like the way he thinks. We make judgments all the time. Who's right? Who's wrong? Who's good? Who's bad? Who we want for friends? Who we don't want for friends? Y'all not, not shouting too loud, but you know I'm telling the truth. We judge all the time. How do we deal with this? Judge not lest you be judged. Knowing the whole calculus of the mindset to, that God functions in. I'm satisfied and convinced that he's saying you can never judge with condemnation. You don't judge with the consequences in mind that you want that person to have. Hello? You can make determinations and you can do some judging, but if you become judgmental, look out. How many, you know, many of you know the difference. You know what I'm talking about? Some people, some people just look for the bad in others and don't trust anybody. I heard the Lord say something to me one time. It kind of shocked me because I had been hurt by some people. <laughs> and I was put in a position where I was going to have to, well, I was going to have to trust somebody again. And I didn't want to, and I didn't want to do it. And yet there I was, and I heard the Lord speak to me. I was talking to him. I was out driving, talking to him. I said, God, I, I, I don't know how to handle this. I don't know what to do. I can't do. I can't do what I'm supposed to do if I don't trust them, and I don't trust them because I don't trust people. Anybody out there know where I am? And the Lord spoke this to me. And he said, if you trust me, you can trust people. If they mess up, I'll fix it up. Keep faith, keep patience, and stay in love. And don't be condemning anybody or making any kind of judgment about the consequences that are come to them. I cannot judge the eternal destiny of a soul. I don't care whether, whether I determine they're bad, whether I determine they're good. I don't know. God alone holds the authority and the right to judge the eternal destiny of the soul. Amen? Amen. Well, I hope these thoughts help a little bit. Uh, I have one final conclusion for anybody, pastors, preachers, somebody you may know or heard of, that are in question about there being a literal hell that people actually go to. And here's the question. 
if there was no literal hell to be saved from, then what are we doing with this evangelism thing? Why spend all that money and send people around the world? Why spread the gospel? Why go into all the earth teaching and preaching? Why do that? If there's nothing to say, what are they going to be saved from? You've got to get them saved. Okay, saved from what? Folks, there is a place to avoid. And I don't want you to go. And I don't want to go. And the only way I know how to make it is put my trust in the one I do know. And the one who loved me before I ever loved him or knew him. He chose me. I didn't choose him. And I hear his voice now choosing people here that are in this audience this morning. I hear his voice now. I want to pray for you. Would you bow your head for me just a moment? Father God. You are a merciful God. You're a loving God. Kind. True. Faithful to keep your word. I pray over every person that is here this morning, Father. And if there is one here that is not sure they're ready, to go to heaven. I pray for them. And I declare and de decree. That they shall go to heaven. Because of a decision that they make. Right now. If anybody's here and you're not sure you're going to heaven. And you want to be sure. Stand up and come down here. I want to pray for you. Be bold. Do it now. I want to pray for you. And I'm, I promise you. I promise you. What I know from God, he'll hear your prayer, our prayer, save you, and know, you, know you're going to go to heaven when you die. It'll give you joy like no joy you've ever known because he'll come and live in your heart. If everybody here is already ready to go to heaven and you want, you want to be sure that the people you love and know go to heaven, would you hold your hand up? You're all, you know you're going to heaven. You want to be sure the people you know are going to heaven. Hold your hand up. Hold your hand up and what I'm going to pray on their behalf. Father, we reach out to you for, for, the, for the unsaved, for the lost, and for the dying. We believe in our heart. We trust you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength that you will save their soul. We pray for that, Father. We believe that in Jesus' name, that they are redeemed. We claim them. Just call people's names right now under your, under your voice, right there where you're sitting. Call their names right now, that you want, to be, you want to be sure they get saved. Thank you, Father. You hear the names coming from the hearts and the mouths of your believers. We lean on you, Father, and call on you. Save those souls. Save those souls. Reach out to them, Father. Save them from an eternal destiny in hell. In Jesus' name, I decree and declare that not one of them, not one of them shall be lost. For the glory of God, I pray this prayer. And thank you for it. And everybody who believes God's going to do it, shout amen. Amen, 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 amen. Hallelujah to God. Well, I didn't answer all your questions, but I raised a bunch of them. <laughs> amen. 
Thank you for listening. Be sure to visit gchurch.net for more information about this podcast and other resources.